0: Uh, so if I come in shaving, y'all give her dirty looks. Uh, it, it will be all, all her fault. Honestly, I, I love the strength of the men in our congregation. I, I, I wait for the day when our men catch fire for the Lord. Uh, I, I wait for the day when the men in this church really step forward with the strength and power that God gives, ready to lead their families, ready to do great things for God. Uh, we need revival at Woodburn Baptist Church. We need it in our lives, and I really do think it's going to start with the men. If it doesn't start with the men, I'm just afraid it won't happen at all. It comes from the Holy Spirit, but we need willing hearts. And that's what I want us to look at this morning in this sermon series called Catching Fire. We're going to start this week with hearts on fire. Next week, Matt Betts will preach church on fire. The last week, world on fire. We want the Holy Spirit to light a fire that consumes the world. It will start in our hearts. Now, which brings us to Luke chapter 24. This is a tremendous uh, Easter story that we don't always preach at Easter because it doesn't seem to fit Easter, but but it is Easter. It doesn't seem to fit Easter because here are two disciples of of Jesus who know about the empty tomb but have no joy whatsoever. They're still walking depressed and and, and completely as if it's the worst day of their lives, which in fact it is. But notice the difference that, that Christ makes. Luke chapter 24 beginning of verse 13, the disciples on the way to Emmaus. Just a couple of things. Um, most scholars believe that this is probably a husband and wife, that two disciples, but probably husband and wife, because we know that they live in the same house. So unless it's like a Burton and Ernie thing, uh, this is probably a husband and wife. So, so you may just be aware of that. Also, the fact that we know one of them's name is Clopas. Pretty good indication that this actually could be relatives of of Jesus' family, Mary and Joseph. So Jesus could actually, this could be an encounter with his uncle and aunt. Just so you know that, I think it's kind of interesting that, that you may be able to connect dots like that just because we're told his name is Clopas. At any rate, two disciples along the road to Emmaus, and here's the story. Listen, allow the Lord to set your heart on fire today. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself came near and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked him, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Clopas, replied, Are you the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days? What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. And they had seen angels who told them, Jesus is alive. And some of our men ran to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. It wasn't. It clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and at the end of their journey. So Jesus acted as if he were walking on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, Jesus took the bread and blessed it. and Then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly, their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, The Lord is really, really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. Other than birth, the only thing that his mama ever gave him was four names. His name is Davian, Navar, Henry, only. And he's been in the news the last few weeks. Damien Navarre Henry Only is a 15-year-old boy who has lived his entire life in foster care. Never had anybody. He was actually born to his mother who was in prison. And so as soon as he was born, they took him from her and put him in social services where he lived his entire life. 15 years foster care. Davian says that one of the things that kept him going all those years was just the dream that, that his mother was out there. Even though she was in jail, he knew that she was there. And he always just figured that one day she would finish her, her term, her sentence, and be set free out of jail. And then she would come and get him, and they'd be a family. He, he, would, have, he would have her. But, but 15 years went by his, his entire life. He started realizing that in, in, in sort of three years, he's going to be 18, which means the system will turn him out, and then he will truly, totally have nobody. So back in June, Davian did a really uh, amazing thing, and it, in some ways, it's funny that he had never done it before. But, but back in June, he went to a, a library where there was a computer, and he took his birth certificate, which he had always had, and he looked at the name of his mother, Ladwina McLeod, and he looked her up on the internet just just to see he found her he found her mug shot so understand this is a 15 year old boy and the first time he sees the face of his mother it's her mugshot on the internet but he knew that he looked at his mom and he he read about her crimes he read about her petty theft and he read about her cocaine as he continued to search her name, he, he found her obituary. She had died in Florida in jail two weeks before. Just two weeks, which means if he had come two weeks earlier or three weeks, he, he could have known his mother, but she was gone and for this boy who had honestly never cried much in his life, he said that day in the library, he just went to pieces because that's the moment when he realized, there is nobody out there for me. There is absolutely nobody out there for me. Now, a a lot of people at that very point would just give up and quit, but, but that's the point where Davian decided to do something extremely courageous. He, went back to the last foster home he was in and he borrowed a suit that did not fit. It was way too big, but, but he put on this, this man's suit and he got a tie, got a clip on it. It was a zip-on tie, it had a zipper. Um, because there'd never been a man in his whole life to teach him how to tie a tie, you understand? So he, this oversized coat and a zip-on tie and he walked into St. Mark's Missionary Baptist Church. At the end of the service, that 15-year-old boy gathered all the courage he had, and and he stood in front of the church, people, all of them strangers, but he just looked in their faces, and he said, my name is Davian Only. I have lived my entire life in foster care. Will somebody take me? Just come get me, he said, and love me till I die. Those were his words. Mom or dad, I don't care. Black, white, purple, I don't care. But if you'll just take me home, I will be very appreciative and I'll be the best I can be. They say that there was not a dry eye in that church. But they also say nobody took him home Nobody took him home. Now, since then, his story's been on the news. And since then, there have been quite a lot of people asking about Davian. But as you sit here today, he's still in foster care. Understand that. It, 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 has the world just become that big? I mean, is the world just so big now that, that, that somebody like Davian, that, that, that a kid could just slip through the cracks between the people? I mean, is that really the world that we're living in? Just, just so many people that, that, that a person could just absolutely disappear and, and not have anybody. I mean, in the whole world, alone, in the entire world, it, is that the world that we live in? I, I'm afraid that it is. You have to recognize that it is. Now, in my parents' day, in my grandparents' day, perhaps your day, it, it, it was truly different. There was a kind of safety net with family. And there was a kind of, of safety net with, with church and, and, and neighbors, the community. Neighbors took care of neighbors. Neighbors knew one another. And if, if you needed something, your neighbors would, would always be there for you. It was sort of understood. It was a kind of contract with one another that we would take care of one another. But, but there is no such contract binding us together anymore. You see that, don't you? It's just not there. It's just not there. You can't always depend upon family because family won't always be there for you anymore. And God help us, you can't count on the church anymore. Because a 15-year-old boy can stand up and beg for a family and everybody still go home explaining to themselves why they don't have room for him. And if you can't trust the church, then you certainly can't trust your neighbors. You can't trust the community because there really isn't much community out there. That's why a lot of people and even people in this room today, you can be in this crowd and you can still feel like you have nobody in the world. That there's nobody in the world paying attention to you. That there's nobody in the world who's going to be there for you. That There's nobody looking out. And it's a horrible feeling. It's a terrifying feeling to be in a world full of people and not have anybody. So is that you? Is that how you feel? Do you feel alienated from the whole world? Do you wonder that in this whole world of people, if there's anybody that's actually there for you? Because I need to tell you something. It's it's really simple. It's so simple that, that, that you'll think that somehow it doesn't mean anything. But you've got to understand that you are never alone. In this place of all places, you've got to understand you are never alone. Jesus is with you. Those are not empty words. Those are not just preacher words. Those are the words of life. You're never alone. He is never not going to be with you. He is never not going to help you. He is never, ever going to leave you without his presence, without his power. You are never going to be alone. But now let me tell you something that's equally true. Sometimes you won't feel that. Sometimes you'll have a hard time believing that, but you must believe it, that Jesus is always there. But it doesn't always feel like he's there, and it doesn't always look like he's there. And that becomes the struggle. How do I see Jesus in my circumstances? How do I see Jesus in, in the world that I live in when the world that I live in is not a kind place? How can I possibly believe that Jesus is there for me when nobody else seems to be there for me? How can I see him in my circumstances? If you're ever tempted to just give up and stop believing in him or or stop looking for him, I have one word for you. Don't. Don't stop believing. Don't stop looking. Because, see, that's kind of where the two followers, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, were on on this particular day. It it was the worst day of their lives. You you get that, right? It, It was the very worst day of their lives. They have experienced the death of all of their dreams, the death of all of their hope, and now they are going home longest walk of their lives. Now, here's the thing. As they were walking, the scripture says, Jesus comes near, verse 15. Jesus comes near, and Jesus actually is walking beside them, but they don't see that. They don't know that. And do you recognize what I'm telling you? Do you understand the beauty of that? Jesus is with them, but they don't know. So therefore, it is altogether possible in your life that in in the moments when you feel most alone, in the moments when you feel that Jesus has somehow left and forsaken you, he is right beside you. It is very possible that he's always there and you don't feel that, you don't see him, and you don't know. But understand, the disciples are in that very same situation. He is right there beside them. So if you have trouble seeing Christ, if you have trouble believing that he's with you, then here's step number one. Just look for him along the road. Just look for him on the road beside you because he's always there. He's going to be there. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly comes near and begins walking with them. He asked them, what are you talking about as you walk along They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. All right? You get that picture? And then one of them, Clopas, replied. Get this. This is one of the most hilarious, unintentional jokes in all of Scripture. You ready? You must be the only person. Now, who's he talking to? Jesus. And what's he talking about? What's... what's, What's happened that day? Jesus was crucified and buried and then rose from the dead, some say. And this guy says, to Jesus, you must be the only person who doesn't know what's happening around here. Let that sink in. On Easter, telling Jesus, you must be the only person that don't know what's happened. So just let me fill you in. And so then they walk along, and Jesus just walks with them and lets them tell their whole sad story. And it is the saddest story you can possibly imagine when they tell it. Understand? It is the saddest story ever as they tell it. Things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He he was a mighty teacher. Understand the past tense here. In the eyes of God and all the people, our our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. It's, It's all past tense. It's just all past tense. Verse 21, here we go. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue. This all happened three days ago. It's all past tense now. You, you see that? It's just all past tense. Verse 21, we had hoped. What happened to their hope? What's happened to their hope? We had hope. So what they're saying, in other words, is our, our hope is dead. Our hope is dead. We had hoped in this man, but, but no longer. Our, our, our hope is gone. My my hunch is if you've lived long enough at all, you've been in that situation. Hope is vital. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says that there are three great things that abide. There are three great things, and they are faith, hope, and and love. So right along with faith and love, hope is essential to life. It it is an essential spiritual quality. And yet they said we, we had hoped. I mean, they've given up hope now. See, hope is vital because hope has everything to do with tomorrow. It's about the future. Hope hope is always about the future. And when you lose hope, that means you lose future. You begin at that point to live your whole life in the past. We had hope. He he was a, a powerful teacher, but he's been crucified. You understand? Once you lose hope, then you just start living your whole life in the past. And that's actually impossible. You can't live in the past. And that's why the very moment you begin to only live in the past is the moment you begin to die. Because you can only live moving forward, you can only move into the future, and the only way to walk with Jesus is to walk with him in the present and into the future. You just can't walk backwards and continue to look backwards. We had hope, they said, but they don't hope anymore. Do you you see that? They don't have any more hope. But now, this sad, sad story, this hopeless story, they're telling the whole story to whom? To Jesus. You must be the only man in the whole town who don't know what's been happening. Don't you tweet. But you follow Joe Imel on Twitter, you know everything. You must be the only person who doesn't know what's happening. Let me just tell you, this is a simple thing but probably important for your life. It's probably a bad sign for you when you begin thinking that you know more than Jesus knows. Probably a bad sign for you when you find yourself beginning to want to explain the world to Jesus. Jesus, you just must be the only one who doesn't understand what I'm going through. Let me explain it to you, Jesus. Let me tell you about the world. Let me tell you about my life. Well, it's just probably a bad sign for you when you begin to think that you're going to explain the world to Jesus. He's right there, right there with them. They just don't see that. And he's right there with you too. You just don't see that. So although you don't see and although at this point you don't feel that, you've got to believe that. He's still near you. He's walking along the road beside you, and there's nothing he doesn't understand about your life. Look for him along the road. Th- then look for him in the Word. Notice what happens next. Then Jesus said to them, verse 25, uh, Jesus finally speaks up. I'm I'm happy he had to be about to explode. Jesus said to them, you foolish people. I'm sure he wanted to call them other names at that point. "You, You fools, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things? Wasn't it clearly in the Bible, he says, You've read the Bible, right? Wasn't it right there in the Bible, all of these things that he would suffer before he enters his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. Jesus walks along and reads the whole Old Testament to them. You understand? He gives them the whole Old Testament, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He took the scriptures and explained all the things that applied to himself. Now here's the other part, and this, again, is going to be something that's going to be tempted not to listen to because it sounds like something you've already heard before. But I'm telling you, if you have a hard time finding Jesus in your life, you need to look for him in the scriptures. You're living your life somehow saying that God has forgotten you and abandoned you, and you don't hear his voice, and you don't know where he is, and you don't understand what he's doing, but you don't ever pick up the Bible and try to read it. So I can clear this up for you right now. You're never going to find him until you find him in the Word, and until you find yourself in the Word. You understand? The Bible doesn't work if you don't read it. And most people who have a Bible never read it. Never read it. It may be on your coffee table covered with dust or stuffed with family pictures. It may be on your bedstand to keep the booger man away. I, I, I don't know. But, but the point I'm making is if you don't open it and read it, it's never going to do you any good. If the only Bible you ever hear is when you're in church and somebody else is reading it to you, that's never going to go down deep enough in your heart where you really begin to, to, to catch fire for Jesus. Do you understand? Bible doesn't work if you don't read it, but but more than that, it's not just like an ordinary book. This isn't like reading the TV guide, or it's not like reading Hunger Games for that matter. This is different. When Jesus goes through and and does the scriptures with the disciples, he, he circles around and shows them how everything in the Bible points back to him. Do you see that? Because the fact of the matter is, this is not a dead book. It is the living word of God. And Jesus himself is the living word of God according to scripture. So when you open the Bible, you're not just looking at dead words on a page. There is a living presence there, a living presence, a spiritual life in the Bible. And that living spiritual presence is Christ himself. And so when you open the Bible to read, it's not so much that you read the Bible, you allow the Bible to read you. Does that make sense? You have to let the Bible read you. You have to recognize that that this is Christ, the living word of God, and he will begin to show you how everything in the Bible applies to him, but most importantly, how everything in the Bible applies to you. Do you see? They tell their whole sad story. Their hopeless story of how they believed in this Jesus, but he was dead, and now their hope is dead. When they tell the story, it's horrible. When they tell the story, it's heartbreaking, it's hopeless, it's devastating. But then Jesus walks along, takes the word, and tells the same story back to them. You understand? He tells them the same story back, but when Jesus tells it, it's victorious. When Jesus tells it, it's full of hope. When Jesus tells it, it has a happy ending. So listen to me. You look for Jesus in the word and you go ahead and you tell Jesus your long, sad story. You tell him how there's nobody there for you. You tell him how sick you've been. You tell him what the doctors have been telling you. You just go right on ahead. You tell him about your ex-wife. You tell him about your former husband. You tell him about your no-good kids. You just tell Jesus your entire sad story, and then you shut up and let him tell it back to you. Because when he tells it back, it's going to be his story. And his story is going to turn your story inside out. It's the same story. But when Jesus tells it, there's victory in it. When Jesus tells it, it's a story of hope. You look for him in the word. You the only one who hasn't heard, they said, about Jesus, how he died? Oh, we had hoped he was really going to change the world, change us, but but that was days ago. Jesus said, you foolish men, it's clear in the Bible. They let Jesus read the Bible to them, everything changes. Look for him in the Word. Look for him in the Word. Then notice what comes next, this is fascinating. By this time they were nearing Emmaus, verse 28, at the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he were going on. Think about that. Jesus acted as if he were going on. What does that mean? He's acting, which means if you look at what he's doing, you wouldn't really know what he wants to do. He acts as if he's going on, but that, that just simply means that Jesus really wants to stay, right? He's acting like he's going to walk on, but, but, but he's, his heart is to stay. But he waits for something. What's he wait for? He waits for their invitation. Yeah. You get that? What if they had not invited him? You understand, Jesus would have walked on. Not because he wanted to, but because that was the choice they made. Jesus is such a gentle Savior. He is not going to kick down the door of your life. It, it, that moment is, is a moment of truth, a moment of choice. And, and they had all the choice in the world, and they did not have to say, stay with us, but they do. They say, stay with us. And at that point, Jesus comes, and he's, he's a guest in their home. You see that? At their invitation, he's a guest in their home. But, but then something amazing happens, and I want you to see it. As they sat down to eat... Jesus took the bread and blessed it. Now, understand that's very strange. Because he's a guest in the home, right? And in this culture, that is what the host does. It's the master of the house who serves the bread. It's the master of the house who would take the bread and break it and say the blessing. So in some very strange transformation here, the guest has become the host, you understand? The one who came only by invitation now has taken complete control of the house. He is acting and functioning as the man in charge. Jesus takes the bread, and Jesus blesses it, and then their eyes are opened. Then they recognize him. So what's the tipping point? Where's the moment when their eyes are opened? Very truly, it's the moment when they allow him to take over. It's the moment when he's not just a guest in the house, but when he becomes the master of the house. It's the moment when he's not simply the one walking alongside the road, but he is the one leading the way. You understand, you're never going to understand or know who Jesus is until you give him complete permission to be the master of your life. He will come in and he will take charge or he will walk on without you, but he's not simply going to follow you along and do what you say. You will never know who Jesus is. You will never, ever understand his power in your life until you step back and you give him control. At the moment when the guest becomes the host, at the moment when he begins to operate as if he is in charge of the entire place, that's when their eyes are open and they understand who he is. And then he's gone. He disappears. Where did he go? Why did he leave? They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn? didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Didn't our hearts burn? And where do they go? Right back to town to tell everybody what's happened. Jesus is alive. You understand, he always was alive. And even though at this moment he's disappeared from their eyes again, you understand, right? He still hasn't left them. He's still right along beside them on the road. They don't always see him or recognize him, but he's always going to be there. They they may not always understand, but they will always hear his speaking voice in the word when they look for him in the word. And whenever he begins to control and, and lord over their lives, at that moment their eyes will open. Every time you'll know who he is when you give him authority to command your life. what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you just to believe that he's alive. But more importantly, that he's alive for you, that that he's with you along the road. You are not alone. You will never be alone. Although sometimes you will feel alone. When you look for him along the road of your life, when you look for him in the word, when you begin to allow him to control your life, then understand, he will set your heart He will set your heart on fire. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, when we look for you in the world, we don't always see you. And when we look for you in the darkness of our lives, oh, Lord Jesus, we don't feel like we always see you. God, we feel like sometimes we are alone and without help or hope in the world. God, there are people in the sound of my voice right now who would say that they used to have hope too, that they used to look forward to tomorrow too, Lord, but the bad news of this week has ruined any hopes for next week. Lord Jesus, I just pray That you would come near to every heart in this house. Come near to us, O Lord Jesus, and begin to tell our story back to us. Tell us the story of sadness, Lord, but when you tell it, make it a story of gladness. Tell us, Lord, our story of sin, Lord, but when you tell it, it'll be a story of grace and forgiveness. Tell me my story of defeat and fear, and you will make it a story of victory and courage. O Lord Jesus, come near us. Tell us our story. Tell us how you see it. Tell us what you would make it to be, Lord. Give us our future back. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come into our hearts and stay. We pray, Lord Jesus, you would come into our hearts and be the Lord, the commander, the master, the king. Lord Jesus, we just want to yield to you in all the things you ask of us, Lord. Only let us live with courage and faith. Only let us walk beside you. Lord Jesus, there's many a cold heart in this house. And sometimes, Lord, sadly, the coldest hearts of all are in the hearts of our young people who've already learned so early that the world is cruel and brutal and that there may be nobody out there for them. Lord Jesus, show them that that is not the truth. Show them, Lord, the world as you see it. Show them the fire that you're going to set in this world. And show them, Lord, the world as you're going to remake it. Lord Jesus, let an uprising begin with our young people. Let an uprising begin with our old people. Lord, set our hearts on fire and let the fire, Lord, kindle to cover the earth, that the whole earth might be filled with your glory. We pray these things in your precious, holy name. Amen.